0: Both the Owlsboro Police Department and the Kentucky State Police are having trouble attracting new applicants and retaining the officers they have. We're going to discuss why this has become a problem and how these agencies are trying to overcome it. Stay with us. This is Inquirer. From the Messenger Inquirer, I'm Don Wilkins. And this is part two of our podcast that we're calling Keeping Cops. And joining me this week are Corey King. He's the public information officer with Kentucky State Police. And Mr. Inquire crime reporter, Jim Mays. <laughs> now with me is Trooper Corey King. He is the public information officer with Post 16 in Henderson. Uh, Trooper King is also a Davis County native. So Trooper King, we've been talking about this issue regarding police officer retention and just attracting uh, new applicants as well. And our first episode, we talked to Art Elam, the chief police of the Owensboro Police Department, you know, and, and, I, and I suspect you guys are having similar problems, if not some of the same problems, but I know there are some differences within what your troopers do, and what police officers do in a city environment. Um, so can you talk about some of those differences between, you know, an officer maybe dealing in a Urban environment versus what you guys do, I guess, more often in in more rural settings?
1: Absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me on the show. This is a very important topic for us. And, uh, you know, for one, if you got to consider that we cannot recruit if we can't retain. And that is not only for us as a government entity, but also in the, in the private industry. Retainment is, is key. So that's where we're really going to have to hit on. But recruitment is a second part. Now, as for our state police agency specifically, we are essentially 16 16- different police entities. Whereas, for example, Chief Elam, he was here and he was speaking about his department um, all here in Owensboro. We have essentially 16 Owensboro police departments, but we do police the very rural areas where typically you do not see or have other law enforcement agencies. So inherently, that's one of the differences from us is we're autonomous. We're to ourselves. We have one trooper per squad car, and that one trooper may be the only trooper in that county and he, and, and I say he because we, we do not have any females at this post, although we're actively trying to recruit minorities and females. But that's where the gentlemen that are working this post district literally may be the only trooper working that county answering calls of domestics and other various type crimes like burglaries, rapes, robberies. And then on top of that, still trying to deal with epidemic drug issues that we have right here in our backyard.
0: And Jim's story that inspired this podcast, he talked with you about the number of road troopers that you initially, whenever you started, how long have you been with the state police? I've been here for 18 years. So 18 years. So you've seen a lot of changes. We have. And according to his story, you said that there were 40 troopers to patrol six counties, and now that's down to 18 with 23,000 23, calls per year? Yes.
1: You know, when I started, it's actually 42. Is 42 troopers working in the six-county region. That's that's comprised of post-16, and Davis County is is one of the six. And we had 42 guys working covering the calls in this district. We're now at uh, it's 16. Uh, I think it's 16. We anticipate to net one coming up in June. We have academy class graduating, so hopefully we'll get one that will make it around 17, which if we're answering t- around 23,000 calls a year with 16 troopers on the road, and that's a dramatic, dramatic decrease, yeah. and that's a lot, a lot, that's a serious workload that these guys have to to endure. So I know the stresses of the road, and is it's no surprise when I tell you that it seems as if we are taking on more and more problems every year. And we are. But yet we have literally half the workforce we used to have. And that should be a concern for everyone. And I think now we're starting to see where some agencies, and it's not just Kentucky State Police, it's all agencies, but we're starting to see where it's rearing its ugly head. There are or there are some agencies that will not respond to certain calls anymore. Now, that's not us, but in other areas, that's that's a real concern for everyone, that n- no longer certain type of, let's say, burglaries, theft crimes, you will not get a police response because these guys can't do it. The call volume is increasing, and the manpower is reducing.
0: So how are you overcoming that?
1: For one, we have to identify what is the problem? That is really very tricky because there's so many different variables that could be the reason why we're seeing, for one, the, the amount of retirements that we're seeing, but also why we're seeing the lack of the interest in coming to law enforcement as a career path. Uh, one of those is relatively low pay. If you want to look at that alone, and I do a lot of career fairs, but one of those is the relatively low pay compared to other jobs. Even though more and more people are earning college degrees, salaries for law enforcement officers, especially starting salaries, do not reflect the higher earning expectations of newer generation of job
0: candidates. Now, what is a starting salary of a new trooper?
1: It's around 42000 and we do have, of course, your, your benefits and all. Now, I started, I had the Tier 1. My pay was 29000 18 years ago, starting pay. Yes, we had cream-of-the-crop insurance and, and other uh, pension benefits. We are starting to see where that's reducing. Now, although we can say that there is so-called this quote-unquote attack on our pension. It's still better than what most private industries, their their benefit packages are. So we still have that going for us. But you also have the disqualifying behaviors of a lot of the candidates that are interested in criminal justice jobs. what I mean by that, uh, even though that is a true obstacle for most departments, the evolving tolerances of of society as a whole for minor crimes and illicit drug usage, as a culture accepts the use of certain types of drugs, Younger people may engage in behaviors that ultimately keep them from landing a criminal justice job. And we're seeing that when we get these applicants. Uh, you pair that with a lo- relatively low pay, the disqualifying behaviors. And a caveat, a little bit, a side note to the disqualifying behaviors, our physical fitness. We ha- that is one of the things. First thing you do to apply to the state police, you, t- you take a written test. Then you have a physical fitness exam. And we're seeing a very low ability of the younger generation to pass these physical fitness exams. So I don't know if it's the, the with the technology, it's a little bit more sedentary lifestyle. Maybe that, that hurts in that area. But Frankly, we got to have a very fit organization, especially if you're a trooper out here on the road by yourself and you don't have the luxury of backup within minutes away. Uh, in fact, many times when I was on the road, my backup was 30, 45 minutes away. When you're uh, uh, fighting for your life, that is a huge difference. Literally, you need somebody there within a minute or so.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the things that we talked about with Chief Elam. You know, One is the, you know just the danger of the job, and now you guys are fighting – perception of police officers in general but it seems like you see it more with you know your larger city departments that they're dealing uh, with some of these perception problems uh, people disrespecting police mm-hmm. and, and so forth are you guys fighting that perception problem is, is that playing into what you're dealing with as well as the state police
1: it is. Although I will say we are very blessed here in Kentucky. It's, we haven't quite seen that nationally speaking. Yes, it seems like there is a uh, a war on cops, so to speak, and you do see that anti police sentiment towards us and the rhetoric that comes along with that. It damages, for one, our perceived reputation, but also it damages our turnout of people that want to be involved in law enforcement. So you pair the first two bullet points I was talking about with the reduced uh, pension benefits, understaffing, and the fear of making a life or death decision, and it being publicized or at least scrutinized to the degree out in the public. You know, that's one of those things we see when I go to career fairs locally, go to colleges to try to recruit these. I can tell you I've been doing this job for uh, for the PR side for about nine years now, I'm seeing less and less people turn out to our tables. And that's one of the things they claim. They say, listen, we, we love what you do, we appreciate what you do, but I wouldn't want to do your job. So how do you overcome that? It's not necessarily that, yes, we are, we are, there's no doubt that we're a very unpopular career path right now, especially for the college students. But how do we get those people to understand that that is a false narrative that's being broadcast on our career. It wholeheartedly, you look at all the law enforcement officers, yes, sure, there may be a, a very small percentage of what we would consider bad apples, but I can tell you, and I'm very proud of our agency, the state police does a very good job at getting rid of those bad apples. We police ourselves, and there's no one better who does it, and I've seen it in my time. So I, that that's a very false narrative, and that rhetoric of that uh, that scrutiny of us or any other department, uh, it's appalling. We're a very good job at policing ourselves, but how do we we get those people to come to us, the newer generation, that is the challenge. And that's one of the variables we have to look at. How do we get the millennials, the generation Y, to look at law enforcement as that potential career path? That's where we stand. And that's what we have to do to get that. Retainment is one thing. And yes, uh, for example, me having a tier one I need to stay here for my retirement. I have 18 years on, but with my sick and retire or my sick and uh, vacation that I've never touched, it can truncate over into that where I can utilize that to retire. So, in theory, I could retire in August, this August, if I wanted to. I'm not, but I have the cream of the crop, tier one, ideal type of retirement for me. The new Troopers do not have that. They have to work more years, and they have a 401K, which is transferable to other industries. And that's where we're seeing when it comes down to the troopers that are and who have left to go to the private sector. Well, they're starting out. If they had that 401K, they can just truncate and pass it over right over to this this uh, uh, new company. Like a So lot you of.
0: guys are like Artie was talking about, uh, could retire at one time of 20 years. Now you guys are up to 25 that's years? Right. And so how big of a deal uh, or how much of a factor are those five years making, you think?
1: I think, if anything, it's more of the 401K. And it, and, I, and I think Jim and I, we were talking about this, that you wouldn't think five years would make a huge difference. But to a road trooper, mm-hmm. who's, again, out by himself, and let's just say you add five more years to me, I'm, I'm 40. If, I, if five years from what my age is now, I'd be 46. Fighting eighteen-year-olds on meth—that's a big difference. It really is. But also, I, I, I think the important note is, as a road trooper, we don't have the luxuries of having holidays off, having weekends off, getting to go see your kids play at school. Um, those are rigid schedules that have to be there because if you look at our numbers that we were talking about at the beginning of this podcast, we don't have—we don't have the luxury of making our own schedule because we can't. We have to literally put all hands on deck when we know the volume of calls are coming out. So these guys that are out here answering almost thirty, about 25,000 calls a year, they don't get the holidays off. They don't get Christmases off because we're too busy working domestics and burglaries during that time frame. So you literally miss out on all of that. And that is one of the number one drivers that we see that the new generation, the, the millennials, you know, my generation and older have always, uh, you hear people say, oh, the, the, the new kids, they don't, they don't have work in them at all. They don't know how to work. Well, that's not true. We have to overcome that. There has to be a paradigm shift on how do we attract that new millennial into coming into criminal justice. And one of those is the very point I just mentioned is a flexible work schedule. You know, I was uh, picked my daughter up from dance here in here in Owensboro, and I was in line at a drive-through, and I was just sitting there waiting. And you know, it's not law enforcement that's looking for jobs necessarily, needing those new new blood, but it's everybody. And while I was sitting there at the drive-through, I noticed that they were hiring, and the number one bullet point they had was you make your own schedule. And that they have done the research and looked that the new millennial is actually not lazy at all. They just want to enjoy life as we all do. So, for example, when I have people at these career fairs come in to talk, they're very shocked to say, you guys work holidays? You work every weekend? Yeah, yeah, when you start out, that's what you have to do, and that deters them. So really, there needs to be a paradigm shift with the older generation like me who's making these decisions for an agency. What do we do or what can we do to better attract these folks? And some of these things, Don, is free. We can literally start today for free to better attract them like a flexible work schedule. If we can, do the flexible work schedule. Instead of doing, let's say, five, eight-hour shifts— if they want four tens so they can have an additional day off, let's do it. That is free if we can make it. However, we're still fighting the uphill battle of not enough troopers covering the calls out here and just right here in Davis County. So we literally have to pair very well with not only Owensboro Police Department, but Davis County Sheriff's Department as well to cycle these calls.
0: Yeah, another stat that that stood out to me when you talk about the applicants. You you gave Jim this stat of whenever uh, you you first started, three thousand applicants have gone down to two hundred a year.
1: That's about right. When I applied, we had about two thousand in my applying class. We hired we hired them um, eighty five of those two thousand. I was fortunate enough to be one of the eighty five. We are two hundred is is high end. That is high end, and so that that is a huge. Huge decline.
0: Do you, do you give pay bums for education?
1: We give them that college credits there. So that's something they saved right off the bat by going to apply with us and being part of our agency, but also the, the longevity pay scale. Is something? How can we re- how can we keep those troopers now? That's got to work twenty five years with a four hundred one k that's transferable. How do we keep them? Longevity pay. The more they're with us, the more money they will make. That is another good idea that we're testing to see if this will actually hold our troopers here. And that's what we're needing to do. I wouldn't say that our agency is by any stretch a, a, an epidemic of an issue. I think if anything, retainment is pretty fair with us. We are a huge big family so to speak. And, and we, we do very good with that. But, you know, it's not just our troopers. We have dispatchers. We have our, um, our driver's testing and forensic lab techs that are all civilians. And we have a, a fairly significant turnover with that, too. And with our telecommunicators, our dispatchers, it's around 27 percent turnover, And we do an exit interview with those folks, and they say the low pay and stress is the number one driver is why they leave. And that's something that we, and hopefully by hiring more dispatchers with a better quality pay, that will reduce the stress load of them answering these serious calls of service. So hopefully that will keep them there. But what we have going for us is our branding as well as our training. We've been known as the, the Marine Corps of law enforcement, that's across the country. We're very proud of that. And even though our numbers are low, we refuse to hire people that will not bring our agency what it has always been. And that's where we stand with our branding. They tell us we're, we'd rather be very low in manpower than hire average people that will do, do us harm because let's let's face it one trooper wearing that gray uniform represents every one of us in this agency we're trying we will do the best we can to get get the folks that we need answering these calls of service we're not going to put anybody there but the citizenry of Kentucky demands that they have the best of the best and that's why we'll continue to have low numbers until we get them the best of the best
0: all right trooper king I appreciate you joining us. Thanks again.
1: Uh, thanks for having me, Don.
0: And that will wrap up our show for this week. I want to thank Messenger Inquirer reporter Jim Mays and KSP Public Information Officer Corey King for joining me. To send us questions or provide feedback, email us at newscast at messenger-inquirer.com. Remember, you can find us on the Messenger Inquirer's website, its mobile app, and iTunes, where you can subscribe to Inquire. Until next time, I'm Don Wilkinson. Good day for Inquire.